the dictionary defines mission creep as the gradual broadening of the original objectives of a mission or organization. Okay, this message titled Why He Came Out is not specifically an exposition on mission creep. But what we're going to see in this passage today and what I want to identify and point out and help us to hopefully overcome is that, is that concept of mission creep that is so easy to do. Uh, what happens when uh, uh, a mil the military um, engages in a war somewhere? Well, there are goals to that to that war. There are objectives, right? There are political goals, there are military goals, national, international, etc. And uh, the military moves into that country, wages war against the enemies, um, fights against aggression, uh, overcomes Nazism or communism or whatever it might be or terrorism, right? And there are these specific goals. But what happens when you actually get boots on the ground then you've run into problems. And suddenly there are other things that are coming up and you're going, oh, well, we have to address that. Or, oh, well, we have to do that. And in order to meet our objective, we have to get involved in that kind of a conflict or we have to get involved in that kind of activity. And suddenly, if, if those who are leading the way and pointing towards the goal and pointing towards the mission and the vision... Um, suddenly they find themselves encountering mission creep. There are all these other wonderful things that need to happen. There are all these other uh, goals that need to be, or micro goals that need to be achieved. And if we're not, if we're not careful, suddenly we've lost the plot. We've lost the purpose. That happens in the military. It happened, and, the, and mission creep happens in almost every conflict that's ever, uh, ever been engaged in. And um, we can agree or disagree or debate whether the mission was right in the first place or the goals were, were just in the first place or not. That's not the point. The point is that mission creep always happens. It happens in the military. It happens in nonprofit organizations or in businesses or in other uh, organizations. It happens in the church. And it was happening in Mark chapter 1. Let's look at that together. And let's look at this with the goal of asking the question, why did Jesus come out? What was his purpose? What was his mission? So, Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. Would you stand with me? Um, as is our custom when we read God's Word. Stand with me as we read Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. I'll read it aloud and you can follow with me in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. 
That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us today, uh, a word that you inspired by your spirit to be written down and recorded and preserved for us, that we can read it today. I thank you, God, that it meant something to Mark and to his original readers and hearers. And God, it means something to us today. Help us now, by your spirit, to understand what it is that you would have us to know and have us to do as a result of this word today. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, go ahead and be seated. Here's the big idea that I want us to to, uh, look at and explore in this passage today, and that is this, that Jesus came out to proclaim the good news. That's really simple. That should be, you should probably have recognized that, and we'll point it out here in a moment. Jesus came out to proclaim the good news, but here's some, the implication for us. So that we would have our focus on the mission of gospel wholeness. Focus on the mission of gospel wholeness. So, let's just look at that, because that 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 sentence that big idea that theme did not just kind of come to me after one reading of this text i didn't just read it uh back on tuesday uh and go oh yeah okay that's the big idea well first i started to, i had to ask some questions as i always do and i hope you do when you read god's word and ask a few questions especially here in the gospels one of the biggest questions to ask as you're reading through the gospel of mark is what is jesus doing what is he doing in this passage and and, a, and another question is how are people responding to what jesus is doing What's happening as a result of what Jesus is doing or as a result of what he's saying, right? So what's he doing or what's he saying and how are people responding to him? And then what does all that point to? And it helps if we, again, kind of look at the the narrative arc, uh, the narrative flow of this story. It begins in verse 29, as, as we said, and immediately he left the synagogue. Now, immediately... He, he left the synagogue. Well, what was he doing at the synagogue? Where was he? What was going on? What is this immediacy? So we look back and we see in the, in the previous passage that verses 21 to 28, he was in Capernaum. You remember that from a couple weeks ago. We looked at this passage in detail. He was in Capernaum. It was the Sabbath day. He, was, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching. And Everyone went, wow, he's teaching with authority, not like the scribes. And then there's, a, then there's a man in 
the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He casts out that spirit from the man. And then everyone's even more amazed. And they're going, wow, this teaching with authority, even he even casts out demons and they listen to him. And that was what was going on right before he left the synagogue. So imagine if the synagogue is like the Jewish church gathering. He's, he shows up. Okay, I'm contextualizing a little bit, alright? Because it wasn't Sunday. But he shows up on Sunday morning. All of this stuff happens. And then after the church gathering is over and all of the chairs are stacked and the tables are back in the corner and they go home and he goes to have lunch with his new buddies. Simon and Andrew and James and John come with them and they go to Simon's house and lo and behold, Simon's mother-in-law, she missed church that morning. Why? Because she's running a fever. And in that time, that fever uh, was likely to kill her. She's probably not going to live. She's probably not going to survive that fever. Eh, she might come out of it, but, you know, she didn't have Tylenol. She didn't have ibuprofen. So... That's what's going on. That's the setting. This is just, this is that very afternoon after all of that activity was going on at the synagogue. Now Jesus is there. He's in the, he's in the house and, and there's this conflict, right? Because the, the mother-in-law is ill and they tell her about him. And so what does he do? The climax is when he comes to her and takes her by the hand, lifts her up and suddenly the fever's gone and she's whole again. And that, that took care of it. That resolved the, the conflict, resolved the problem that was going on. And what was the result? She gets up and she serves them. She's like, hey, I'm back to wholeness again. My body is whole. And now I can go about serving Jesus and serving His disciples. What the, the word there is minister to. It's the same exact word that was back in verse 13 when we are told that the angels were ministering to Jesus. They were meeting His needs. They were serving Him. They were providing for Him and strengthening Him. And so now she's back to wholeness. And now, mother-in-law, she's back in business. And she's... I'm, I'm taking care of this. All right, now let's get this. Now let's get dinner going. Let's get the plates on the table. Let's get things. And, all, and Jesus, get to the washroom. Wash up, because we're gonna have some. We're gonna have a meal. And now I can do what I've been called to do. What I love to do. You see, you see the, the, the arc there. The, you know, the. Well, it's so matter of fact that we can easily miss the impact of this changed life. Not to mention the fact that Simon Simon has a mother-in-law, which means he has a wife. And he probably has a family. Yet, he is just, just a few verses earlier, maybe even a couple days earlier, he was called to follow Jesus. And he left his nets. And he left his boats. And he said, alright, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And I'm thinking... That now that we know that he has a family and a mother-in-law and a home, do you think Simon might have been wondering, how is this all going to work out? Me following Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I got this. I got this. 
I'm going to I I I'm going to uh, demonstrate my grace and my compassion. I'm going to heal your mother-in-law. N- you know now because of this that I'm going to take care of your family. I'm going to take care of everything that's yours. Don't worry about those things. I, you follow me. I got it. That's pretty exciting. Well, that evening comes, a new setting. And the, and the narrative plot develops. That evening comes and now it's sundown. And what does that mean? Sundown on the Sabbath. Well, for us, sundown means, hey, it's evening. Now it's it's nighttime and it's the right time, etc. I mean, we think of it as it's just a continuation of this this day. Okay, day has gone into night, but we live by this thing on our wrists or on our devices. We live by this clock that um, our good deacons are watching faithfully every Sunday during the message. Um, but we live by that clock. And the day does not end until midnight, right? Midnight hits, and now the day is over, and now it's a new day. That's how we think of time. But that isn't, that's not how uh, Jewish people in that culture thought of time. At sundown, the day was over, and guess what? The next day had already begun. So now it's a new day. Now the Sabbath was over. The Sabbath... The, the last day of the week for Jewish people, uh, that was the day of rest. That was the day where they stopped working. Uh, they didn't work in the fields. They, they had developed the tradition of gathering in the synagogue on the Sabbath and reading the scriptures together and having that shared together. They, they had that, that tradition and the family and they gathered in their homes. Well, Jesus had a little bit of rest in the middle of that day after healing a mother-in-law. And, and hanging out and, and visiting in the home. But then at sundown, the Sabbath is over. And so what do people do? They go, well, let's, let's get out. Let's go do things. Let's, let's go see this guy who did this. Because guess what? The word had spread. He healed a man at the synagogue. He cast out an evil spirit from this man at the synagogue. And so, so now they're all bringing... What, is it, what are they doing? They're bringing those who are sick. Those who are oppressed by demons. And verse 33, the whole city was gathered at the door. So now it's ramping up again. This, this new setting is, is creating this... Now the, what is Jesus going to do? What is going to happen to all these people? Well, what, what does he do? Verse 34, again, Mark is so matter-of-fact. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He began to heal. The climax of that little arc of the story is, is Jesus has compassion on them again. Jesus demonstrates his grace to them again. Jesus is, is healing them again. He's restoring their bodies to wholeness. They're sick. They're, they walk away. They're not sick anymore. They got a limp. They walk away jumping up and down. They're lying on a mat. They get up off of that mat and they, and they run out. They've got some skin disease. They walk away with their skin glowing. They, they're oppressed by demons. They're, they're out of control. They don't, know what they're, they, they don't know what's going on. And he casts out the demons and suddenly they're whole again. He heals them. He casts them out. And then he says he would not permit the demons to speak. 
because they knew him. Well, you remember what happened in the last scene back in Capernaum? When the unclean spirit cried out in the synagogue, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, Be silent and come out of him. Jesus says, well, we, we see again in verse 34 that Jesus is not allowing the demons, the evil spirits, to speak. Don't talk about me. I don't need your testimony about who I am. Even if they're right, even the demons believe and they shudder, says uh, James. The demons believe, they know they know exactly who Jesus is. They have awareness of who Jesus is and, and that He is the Christ, the Son of God. But Jesus says, be silent. I don't want you to speak. Well, just really briefly on that. Why do you think He's saying that? We, we, explored, we talked a little bit about it before, but... I think it's worth um, pausing for a moment and to think about why Jesus was saying to these spirits, don't, don't spread the word about me. In fact, he, he doesn't just say that to evil spirits, he says that to people who are being healed. And we're going to see that again throughout. A couple of reasons. One, he doesn't want his messiahship to be spread around because that's going to put in jeopardy his mission. It's going it's to it's cause, um, it's going to be an opposition to the reason why he came out. So he doesn't want that. And what, what opposition? Suddenly, the word gets around. It's a Messiah. It's the Christ. It's the one we've all been waiting for. And who's going to be interested in, in finding out more about this? Probably the Roman government. And they're going to be interested... And they're going to say, why is there a new Christ? We need to put him on our watch list. And maybe shut down the operation, perhaps. But Jesus has a purpose and a plan. There's a reason why he came out. And he doesn't want, he doesn't want his mission to be impinged by spreading this messiahship around before his time before he accomplishes what he came out to do. But second of all, we saw in Isaiah 49 this idea that in Isaiah 49 and various other passages in Isaiah, the, the servant of the Lord is one who comes humbly, one who comes without fanfare, one who is in a sense hidden from the rest of the world. He's serving, he's humble. He is suffering for his people. And Jesus is saying, That's, I'm not here to, to, to gather a fan base. I'm not here to collect more likes. I'm not here to get more hits on my website. That's not why I'm here. In fact, my mission is to serve, not to be served. And to give my life as a ransom for many. And finally, leading into that, why, why do you think Jesus was saying, no, be silent, keep, keep, why is he keeping himself hidden? Because he knows that ultimately, 
His life is going to be given on the cross. That His kingship will be expressed in His suffering service on the cross. There's a Christological uh, reason, in other words, for this hiddenness, for keeping things silent. And He doesn't want anything to impinge on that. Well, that little scene is resolved as he tells, as he casts out demons, he heals those who are sick with many diseases. And then the next morning, there's, there's a, a, a new scene and it's early in the morning while it was still dark. So Jesus is here getting up at uh, oh dark 30 and he's going to a desolate place. That desolate place is the same idea, the same words of the wilderness where Jesus was tempted by Satan in chapter or in verses 12 and 13, the wilderness or des- desolate place, the same place where he was being ministered by angels, this is a desolate place. It's a place, it's a lonely place. It's a place apart from the rabble. It's a place apart from the busyness. It's a place that's apart from all of the wonderful activities that were going on. All of these great things that Jesus was doing and people were seeing it and they were going, going, wow, he even does this. He does all things well. He's amazing. They're astonished. And Jesus takes time out from all of that craziness and gets by himself and there he prayed. But then, Simon and the others with him, probably the other disciples, but good old Simon He gets named here because we're going to see him be a a rather vocal spokesman for the the group of followers. He comes and others come looking for him. And what does he say? Everyone is looking for you. In other words, let's paraphrase that. Jesus, what in the heck are you doing out here? This is completely counter to all of the great things that are going on here. Why in the world would you go by yourself? Why would you go and pray in the closet when all of these wonderful things are here to be done? People are looking for you. We got more excitement. We want to see more healings. We want to see more demons cast out. In fact, Capernaum is a pretty awesome place. It's a bustling city. There's a lot of people coming and going. Why don't we... Why don't we set up our headquarters here? Why don't we start a church here? Man, this could blow up. Man, this could be a mega church if, if we let it. If we go for it. All we got to do is just grab a hold of it. Everyone's looking for you. Let's do this. And what does he say? Let's go on to the other towns so that I can preach there also. I'm not going to stay here. You don't understand my goal, my mission, my purpose. You don't understand why I came out. Here's why I came out. Back in verse 14 and 15, Jesus said, or uh, we, we, we read, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That word proclaim sometimes is translated as preach. Sometimes it's translated as tell. It simply means to make an announcement of some kind, to pronounce something, to share 
some information. Important information. It's not what, it's not what I do when I'm standing right here in this pulpit on Sunday morning. It's what we all do day after day in the course of our lives when we share with others what God has done for us and how He's working in our lives or what He has done for them and how He is working for them and how He's working in their lives. And so, that's what He began with in verses 14 and 15. And in verse 38 he says, "Uh, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I came out to preach the gospel. I came out to proclaim the gospel. I came out to tell other people about the kingdom of God that is present among them. That is me. And that's what I want you all to be about as well. And so... He resolves that tension. He resolves that issue. And there's this like kind of ultimate climax here because what's going on? We don't see Jesus in this scene bringing wholeness to people, healing their bodies, or casting out demons. We see Him announcing to His disciples and to us the reason why He came out. To bring spiritual wholeness to people. Because if people are well-fed, well-clothed, have jobs, have money, have education, have all of those good things, yet are without Christ and without faith in Him, their eternity is destruction. None of those things really matter when you face the king of the universe and you stand before him. He's not going to ask you, how much money did you make? How much food did you have? How many, how many wonderful things did you accomplish in your life? What were your successes? He's going to ask, did you know my son Jesus? Did he make you whole? Did you receive that wholeness, that spiritual wholeness from Him or not? Jesus had a mission. Why He came out? Ultimately, to bring spiritual or gospel wholeness to people's lives. But He doesn't, he doesn't not care about food and clothes and shelter and and those types of things. In fact, in verse 39, he went out throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and what? Casting out demons. He cares very much about our bodies. He cares very much about our lives here on earth. He's, he, he's, He's not just, you know setting us up for our our ticket into heaven, he certainly does care about what we have going on. He has compassion. We've seen that now throughout. But what he won't allow his disciples to do or other people to do is to distract him from the primary mission of bringing wholeness to people, which includes announcing the good news of Jesus. 
It includes the spiritual dimension. So we will see Jesus continue to heal people's bodies, to heal people's minds. But he will also heal people's souls. And so, what should we do? How should we respond to that? As we look through that and kind of see the narrative plot, the narrative arc, and how the flow of things go, we really see the ultimate climax comes when Jesus is saying, this is why I came out. So how should we respond? What are some things? Uh, how do the people respond in this situation to what Jesus is doing? And here's, here's a few things. And some of them are, some of them are examples of, of people in the story, and others are certainly the example of Christ. And the example that he was setting for his disciples and for all of us, for the church. And one, there, there are three things. I want us to, to just uh, th think about these implications. Think about outward service, inward devotion, and the spoken word. Outward service, inward devotion, and the spoken word. And look at that first one. In that first part of the story, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And what does she do? She begins to serve them. She's serving others. When God brings a person to wholeness through the gospel and through all other means, He, he brings wholeness to their life, not only for, for the, their benefit, but that they might serve others. So what they begin to do is they see, how can I be of service to my Lord? How can I... How can I... Uh, how can I respond with, yes, gratitude, but love and devotion to, to Jesus and serving Him and serving others? How can I serve His church? How can I serve the people in my neighborhood? How can I serve the people in my schools? How can I serve my, my fellow classmates? All of Jesus' ministry was Almost all of his ministry was outward focused in himself. I mean, we, all we have to do is look at his example to see his outward focus to other people, giving grace, giving compassion. So, outward service. Maybe following the example of the mother-in-law and looking for ways to minister to other people. I think, uh, I think each of us uh, could um, find... Uh, without without much without much um, energy in the mind, uh, we could come up with a number of ways in which we can help and serve other people. And maybe we're already doing that. And if so, rejoice and keep doing it with joy and keep serving with the power that God gives. But outward service, but also inward devotion. Many of us, many of us. Um, falter on this one. We stumble. Because we, be, we think of the Christian life as doing all of these wonderful things. Doing all this good. Doing all of that good. And, and yes, it is about that. But Jesus' strength came from His inward devotion to His Heavenly Father. And He did that by setting Himself apart from the rest of the world for a time and praying to the Father. And we, would, we could also argue, if we, as we look through the other gospel accounts, that he was also um, dedicated to studying and meditating on God's Word. Because you, we hear it spoken on his lips all the time. So he's got this inward devotion 
And, and it's something that we ought to cultivate as well. I, Oswald Chambers um, wrote this um, in one of his devotional uh, lectures that was recorded in My Utmost for His Highest. And he said, The great enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but the good which is not good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. What was he saying? Essentially, he's not saying that sin is not an issue, that sin is not a factor, and certainly sin is. And when we falter in, in sin, it, it is going to um, fight against uh, the life of faith. And so, yes, we, we need to be killing sin before it uh, kills us. But what he's saying is something that is very subtle and happens to many of us. That we think, well, this is good. This is good. I should be doing this. Um, other people are doing good like this, so I should be doing that too. Or However, you're justifying that good. But it may not be the best. It may not be the thing that God wants for you, ultimately. It may be what we could define as mission creep in the Christian life. If our inward devotion to God is waning or is completely non-existent, then our outward service to others is going to lack power. It's going to lack um, effectiveness. It's going to lack fruit. And we're going to miss out on our purpose, and that is to worship the God who created us and gave us life and breath and everything. Inward devotion. Follow Jesus' example. Maybe that means early in the morning in your own life that you get away by yourself before all of the craziness happens. Or maybe it means get the kids off to school and then take that, take that 10 or 15 minutes um, in the walk or the, or the ride, or the bus ride, or whatever it is, and spend some time just thinking and praying. Or maybe it means in the middle of your day, a break or a lunch, time, a lunch hour, that you, you get away by yourself, and you don't let the break room and all of the other stuff um, just consume all of your attention. Find a time. Maybe it is like many times in my life, it's at the very end of the day, when the lights are going out, and all of the kids... Well, most of them are going to bed. But I can shut the door and lock it and have some peace and quiet. Maybe it means silencing the cell phone. Or just, you know what? Let God crush the candy. He's got it. He'll take care of that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And maybe, maybe, maybe putting that away and finding that desolate experience of not having that device in your hand and instead having your hands folded in prayer? I don't know. Maybe spending that time being in the presence of God in prayer, reading His Word. What does that look like? It's probably going to look very different based on who you are and what your life is all about. 
But Jesus found a way in the midst of all of that craziness. And he didn't just find a way because he was the Son of God and because he's awesome. And, well, that was Jesus, it's not me. Let me tell you, if Jesus felt the need for that inward devotion to God and he, he himself needed to be filled with a spirit and he needed that presence with God to do the mission that he has and he was perfect, then us who are unperfect, imperfect, boy, how much more do we need to have that kind of inward devotion in our own lives? So practice that. Work on that. Be filled with the Spirit. Why? Well, not only because it will empower our outward service, but it will also empower our spoken word. If a friend you know, or a family member needs a word from God. Who's, who are they going to hear it from? They're going to hear it from the people they're closest to. That's you. But if you, if you have no inward devotion, you don't have a spoken word for them. You don't have anything to speak. You don't have anything to tell. You don't have anything to share. Jesus had something to share. He had the good news of the kingdom. He was ready to announce it. He was ready to, to present that to people. He said, that's why I came out. I cannot simply, I cannot remain silent. I cannot just do all of the good works that everybody is asking me to do. I can't uh, allow my life to be dictated by other people's plans for me. It's kind of like, you know, Stephen Covey says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, That's not original. That's not original with him, okay? This principle is, is proven to us in Christ. Keeping the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is that whenever I have opportunity, I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to share the good news. That may be intimidating to you. Because, again, I'm not Jesus. I don't know all things. I don't know the Bible like I... I should, or I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid, or I don't know how to answer people's tough questions. Well, um, you're in good company, neither do I. And all of us together are simply just sharing what the Lord has done for us and what we know. And it's okay to say to people, when they ask you the hard questions, I don't know. But here's what I do know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So, why have you come to Jesus? What shall we do with these things? Outward service, inward devotion, the spoken word. Let me repeat the theme that Jesus came out to proclaim the good news so that we would focus on the mission of gospel wholeness. What, What does that mean for us? I think it means all of those things. The outward service, inward devotion, and the spoken word. And that's how we keep our focus on the mission of gospel wholeness. But like the people in this story, we have to determine what our decision is going to be. Will we follow Jesus because He has the words of life? Will we follow Jesus because of who He is? Or maybe we are coming to Jesus or coming to His church because we need help with some problems that we've got. We need healing for something in our life, maybe physical or emotional or mental. 
Or, we need help with our relationships. I want to get my relationships on track. Or, I I really want to feel acceptance. I want to feel love. I I want friends in my life. Or, or maybe I'm just amazed at what... uh, at who this Jesus is. I'm astounded at him. And maybe I'm attracted to that. And I just want to, man, there, and, and maybe I want to experience something transcendent. I just want to have that religious experience, so to speak, where I feel something or experience something out of the ordinary. I'm tired of the drudgery of my life. And I just want that transcendent, you know, whoo, let me get, let's get my life elevated a bit. Now, none of those things in and of themselves, are wrong. And it's not wrong to go to Jesus for those things. And we ought to. In fact, my experience, (laughs) to share a little bit of my um, thought, I, I remember being a young man, graduating from college, starting a family, serving God, Sunday school teaching, music, the rest, and I have all these things, and I have all these dreams, and I have all these plans, and I remember being so frustrated because, in my mind, God was not giving me what I wanted. Look what I'm doing for you, God. All my life, I have been slaving for you, and not once have you given me what I want. Luke 15, the older son expecting God to bless me because I'm working for Him, expecting recognition from other people because I am, I am a good servant of Jesus, and all the time missing the very thing that Jesus was offering to me when He said, follow me. He meant that you can have Him. Missing the relationship with the king of the universe. And, and not being satisfied with him. Because, oh, I wanted all of these other things to work out. And if I wasn't going to get paid for what I did for Jesus, or if I wasn't going to get recognition for what I was doing for Jesus and for his church, then I was going to be miserable. Here's the Jesus that we have. He is humble. Here's the Jesus that we have. The servant king. Here's what he offers to us and to all the people around us. Himself. Jesus is not, he's not our, act, he's not our way towards establishing our own kingdom or to build a mega church or a healing ministry, or anything else like that. Jesus is our way to God. He's ultimately shown to us, revealed to us. If you want to know who Jesus really is, you look at the cross, where he suffered and died in agony for each and every one of us. So that no matter what you're going on, what you have going on in your life. You can look to Him, be restored to spiritual and gospel wholeness, and trust Him for all of the rest. Uh, A young man yesterday, 
was telling me about a brother who's just been deployed, a grandmother who's dying of cancer, a mother who's just got diagnosed for cancer, a friend whose husband left her, a young, a young child that he is trying to help support, uh, an injury that is keeping him from progressing in his career. And through all that, he said, well, I'm trying to get back to, to, into church and I'm trying to find God. And I'm like, then that's who you need to trust in. God, God is in the business, um, Jesus is in the business of bringing wholeness to life. And he will do that. And he, he healed many and he cast out many. But there were probably some that he had to leave behind because he was off to preach in another place and he was off to heal other people. I don't know. I, we don't know the sovereignty of God. But can we trust in him? Yes. The servant king, the one who died for you and me so that we would have assurance, so that we would have wholeness. I would rather have uh, Jesus than a whole body, a whole back peace in my mind. I would rather know Jesus. That's what he's given to us. And uh, that's what he's offered to you as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I am challenged by this word. I am challenged because God, um, I I I struggle with trusting you because there's so many things I want you to do. I want you to change this and change that. I want you to fix this problem in my life. Um, I, I keep sinning in the same ways and I want you to, to fix those as well. And I, I just wish you could take care of the money problems and take care of the... the I take care of the relationship problems and I, I take care of the leadership problems and, and do all of those things, God. And um, God, I... I so often get myself so fixed on those things that I miss you and what you want for me and, and that is to know you, to experience a relationship with you and to rest in that and to have peace in that, to be confident in you for who you are. Father, do that work in each of us. Helping us to see you for who you are. To bring gospel wholeness in our church family, in our midst today, as well as, God, our family, our relationships, our neighbors, those we love and are reaching out to, outward service God help us and in your name Jesus we pray